Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're late. A wizard is never late. Nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to. <laughs> Welcome to Syndicate, a film and TV podcast. From our screens to your watch list, we gather to share and discuss your next favorite. Join us as we want you to spend less time scrolling and more time watching. And now, here's your host, Armand Haddad. Hello and welcome to another episode of Syndicate. I'm your host, Armand Haddad, and this season we are exploring the cinematic adaptations of beloved stories. Today we are looking at the film adaptation of the first book in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, The Fellowship of the Ring, by Peter Jackson. But before we don the Ring of Power and set off to Mount Doom, I am joined by a returning guest. She is a loyal soldier of the 501st Garrison, Jersey Shore edition, but to many, she's royalty. Please welcome back one of the talented hosts of WSDR Galactic Public Access, Carla Giacalone. Hello, everybody. So, Carla, the last time you were on, was, was it uh, Wonder Woman 1984? Yes, that was my debut. <laughs> <laughs> that was a fun episode. Not so fun movie, <laughs> but it was a fun episode. Yeah. <laughs> it was a good time. Yeah, it was you and your co-host, Aaron who was a frequent guest on the show. Yes. And, he, yeah, he was just ripping it apart. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, but I'm glad you decided to come back. So before we jump into The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, since this was your recommendation, Carla, how did you first encounter the story of The Lord of the Rings? Ooh, wow. Okay, so I remember... Back in, oh my gosh, I had to have been in middle school. So I was like, eh, like 11, 12 years old. And I just remember the big thing then was Harry Potter. Everybody right. was all about Hogwarts and wizards and whatnot. But 
I caught The Lord of the Rings because my aunt was a big fan. She read the books, loved The Hobbit, all of that. She was like, hey, you want to come come see this movie with me? I said, sure, why not? So she took me and we went to go see it and I just fell in love, <laughs> loved it, saw it as many times as I could in the theater. Um, I think it was after Two Towers, so the year after that was when I decided to pick up the books and then read along. And I've just been in love with the whole story and everything that yeah. it stands for. And just, I'm a huge fan of Tolkien himself and um, mm. his perspectives on the world and life and people and yeah. all that good stuff. It's a pretty close contest. I mean, Star Wars is my, probably my first love, but yeah. just because I've <laughs> seen it, you know, when I was six or seven. So it's been in my yeah. life for a lot longer. Mm -hmm. But Lord of the Rings is like, they are always battling oh. for first place. So yeah, the battle between the two trilogies, Star Wars <laughs> or Lord of the Rings. Exactly. I would say I would have a similar story. My first introduction to Lord of the Rings was the Peter Jackson movie in 2001. And it was funny because when that movie came out, my dad was like, we got to watch it. We have to see this. I was like, "What? It's the Lord of the Rings." Don't you understand? I'm like, "No, I don't. I never, <laughs> I never heard of it." So, yeah, that was my first experience with Middle Earth. And then I started high school, and then one of my high school teachers, he had this whole class called The Realms of Possibility. And there he taught a whole season semester-long class, and it was about fantasy, sci-fi. So we watched like 2001 A Space Odyssey, The Hobbit cartoon because this was before The Hobbit. Oh gosh. <laughs> live action. And we, yeah, we read The Hobbit and he had such a high reverence for that book. He was like, I'll always remember when I first encountered Middle Earth and going to the Shire for the first time. And when I read The Hobbit, it was quite quite an experience because I never, you know, you know, it's one thing to watch the movie, but it's another thing to be, uh, you know, immersed mm -hmm. in the novel like that. Yeah. I'm with you. Like I got into Star Wars when I was a super young age and that has been saturated in my childhood, but getting to Lord of the Rings at a later age, it's kind of like a fine wine for me. It just keeps on getting better and better mm -hmm. with age. As I grow up and I look at these these books and the story and the movies, I'm like, this is so good. I hope other people feel that way too. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> Anytime I ever hear anybody say, "Oh, I've never, I've never seen them," because the books is that's that's a challenge. They're they're not easy books to read for sure, but. With the movies, every time someone tells me I've never seen them, I'm like, oh my gosh, I have a mission now. <laughs> you need to sit and watch these. <laughs> and I don't even like, even if they don't end up liking it, it's fine. Yeah. But I think they're definitely within the batch of like must see films. Mm -hmm. Even though it doesn't feel like these movies came out all too long ago, it's been 20 years, which is crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> Easily. They're considered to be the modern day classics. Mm -hmm. So many movies come out per year, but like there's a few that stand the test of time. And the Lord of the Rings trilogy, specifically the Fellowship of the Ring, kind of have this like timeless 
quality to it where it doesn't feel like it's made 20 years ago. It doesn't feel like it's already old. It, it like feels like something that would be made today right? by today's standards, which is a feat in of itself. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the Fellowship of the Ring. What were your initial thoughts revisiting this film and this story specifically? I feel like Fellowship is... I mean, there's some heavy stuff, but it's the lighter of the three because you have that beginning, you know, where you're walking into the Shire and you're like, oh, things are so lovely and um, peaceful and easygoing and the hobbits are just, you know, drinking and eating all the time. Um, So I think there's definitely a lighter feel to Fellowship than there is with the other two. I guess the establishment of the characters, it's done really well, you know, from the get go. Mm -hmm. and the different themes that we see are also very well grounded as soon as you start. Do you think this entire trilogy is so well-rooted because it's such a faithful adaptation to the source material? A hundred percent. Peter Jackson really took his time to dive into the source material of Tolkien's writings and probably Mm -hmm. not just the Lord of the Rings trilogy, but also the Hobbit there's ties in there. The Cimmerillion um, Mm -hmm. is the other book, but he, you know, maybe to a surface fan, you know, you hear a name or a place and you're like, Oh, okay. But the deep, you know, the hardcore fans, they hear it and they're like, Oh, Whoa, this guy did his Mm -hmm. homework and he knows what he's doing. He took an incredible amount of, care with this you know it wasn't just like yeah we're just gonna you know make it into a hollywood trilogy like he really wanted it to be done in a way that honored tolkien's works and his stories and his characters so to prepare for this episode you know i've seen the lord of the rings trilogy probably much less than you probably um i've seen it i think around three or four times all the way through so I'm kind I'm pretty familiar with the movies, but I've never read the books. So to prepare for this episode, I read The Fellowship of the Ring. And I do have to say, I was both shocked and not surprised that Peter Jackson was so faithful to Tolkien's book. Like I I just couldn't believe it. Like a lot of the dialogue is lifted from the book. A lot of the scenes are straight up lifted. Passages mm-hmm. are recreated on screen so faithfully. Even like the most minuscule detail in the Shire, like for example, um, Bilbo's party for his oh, what was it, eleventy-first birthday? Hundred and eleventh birthday. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like details like that in the party and like. All these other things, I was just shocked. I was like, wow, like that's that's a testament of two things. One, that he's a massive fan, and two, he has high regard for Tolkien. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because with a lot of movies, especially if they're based off books, the filmmakers take liberty, which is fine. They take liberty with, you know, the source that it comes from. But I think with Lord of the Rings if they took any liberties with it, you would have a lot of angry people. I think what's different with this trilogy is that mm-hmm. there is so much book material 
you know, people would say like, there's no way you could possibly adapt these books into a film. And I don't know exactly like what the process was leading up to them deciding, okay, like let's make it three. But I think with, with these films, there's just so much material that he had to take the liberty to take things out, but still keep it so that the story was able to be followed. It made sense, you know? So I think it's a little bit different where he wasn't necessarily changing things. He was just omitting things that weren't necessary to be in the film, if that makes sense. Yeah. And that's a stark contrast with the way he treated The Hobbit Mm -hmm. Uh, and The Hobbit trilogy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Not that I, I don't dislike The Hobbit films, but yeah, you can't. It's kind of like apples and oranges in my opinion he originally wasn't supposed to do the hobbit movies did you know that he was not Uh, i forget who the director was and then last minute they were like bye see you later okay pj we need you (laughs) yeah it was guillermo del toro and they were supposed to do two films yes yep and then i forget the reason why he pulled out but then peter jackson felt like it was his obligation to do it, he was like, well, I got to do it. Yeah. I want to make sure they it's this is done correctly. And then they upped it to three movies. I remember when that happened. I was like, uh, okay. Yeah, they kind of backed him into a corner, I feel like. Really? Because he did, I don't think he wanted it to be another trilogy. And because Hollywood is Hollywood, you know, right. let's make another trilogy. You know? <laughs> <laughs> got to get that elven money. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, before we really get into Lord of the Rings and the Fellowship of the Ring, Carla, you know what time it is. Let's hope I don't mess it up this time. Please stand clear of the closing door. So for those that don't know, um, if you're trying to sell a movie on a friend, you really only have 60 seconds to do so. And I would like to simulate it here today by giving you 60 seconds on the clock to summarize... The Fellowship of the Ring, within 60 seconds, while avoiding major spoilers. Carla, are you ready? Let's do this. <laughs> We're going to start in three, two, one, go. Okay, so we start off, there's a village with a bunch of hobbits. Uh, they like drink and party. Then this wizard shows up named Gandalf, and he's like, hey, uh, I think you've got this magic ring that might bring you know, doom and destruction to the world. So he sends two hobbits, Frodo and Sam, out to destroy the ring. Um, They get sidetracked and get followed by these creepy Nazgul creatures. Um, Then they're joined by two hobbits, Pippin and Merry. Then they go to a council with a bunch of other people from Middle-earth, men, elves, dwarves. They all band together as a fellowship, and they're all out to destroy the ring together as a team. Uh, they run through a bunch of mines and come out and meet a bunch of more elves and then, <laughs> <laughs> um, fight a bunch of orcs and creatures and um, end up splitting up at the end and keep on with their journey. <laughs> wow. Good job. <laughs> it is. That was really hard because... I I didn't want to give away the one like spoiler of the movie. But. <laughs> yeah, we can get into that in a little bit. But 
Yeah, I mean, there's so much that happens in this first film. Yeah. And what I appreciate about this film is that you touched upon it earlier with this film is definitely the lightest of the three, as in it's not as dark as the other two, uh, because the threats isn't fully realized until probably the end of this movie. Mm-hmm. So you have this sense of false security in the beginning with like Bilbo's birthday party and they're having this festival and everyone's having this great time. And then the ring of power, the ring of Sauron is dropped into the lap of this unsuspecting boy, Frodo. And then that's when the whole story begins. So having this be your first, you know, introduction to the, the world of Tolkien and the world of middle earth, how did you feel about these strange um, half-man creatures called hobbits and the world that they inhabited, which is the Shire? I'd have to say that's probably one of my favorite aspects of the whole film and mm-hmm. the story. And Samwise is my favorite character of <laughs> the entire entire story. What I love about the Shire is the visuals that we get. Mm. I think the way that they took it from the book and brought it to life by filming in New Zealand. It literally is otherworldly, you know? And every time I see photos of anything from New Zealand, I'm like, oh, that's Middle Earth. That's not, that's not New Zealand. That's Middle (laughs) Earth. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, it just, it gives you this very like homey, cozy, safe Mm -hmm. feeling. And I think that's what, draws the audience in is oh man like they you know they're yeah. just hanging out they garden they you know they're eating they're partying drinking like what's not to Smoking love weed. about that yeah yeah the pipe weed <laughs> mm, this is great weed gandalf <laughs> 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 so yeah i'm glad that you mentioned that it's you know very green safe you know very lush too so tolkien it's no secret that he's catholic when he wrote The Lord of the Rings, he infused his stories with these biblical allegories. And with The Shire, I feel that it's very paradise-like. It's very mm-hmm. Edenistic. So, yeah, because all the hobbits there, like, they don't have a care in the world. Like, they're just going about their day, you know, having, what, like, five to six meals a day. <laughs> Breakfast, second breakfast, uh, 11Zs. Got my shirt on. Uh, There you go. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Like they're, you know, gardening their own food, drinking nice beer, smoking top shelf weed. Like they're they're having the time of their lives. And it's, it's very interesting, you know, after the whole birthday celebration, then that's when the danger comes into play. Mm -hmm. So to set up the beginning of the film, Bilbo, who is the protagonist of the Hobbit book, Frodo is the adopted son of Bilbo, right? It's his nephew, but yes, adopted. So every single time I watch these movies, I'm like, this is great, but I don't fully understand what's happening because there's so much lore. It's kind of like I'm being plopped into this world, this vast world, kind of like with Star Wars. And I'm just seeing one aspect of it. Mm -hmm. 
so I'm not fully seeing the entire story and I don't really know all the moving parts. Reading the book, I did not have that issue at all because everything is so over-explained that everything just kind of makes sense and it gives a lot of context to a lot of the actions in the film, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. So... I'm not saying that people have to read the book to watch this movie, but it definitely helps a lot yeah. to understand the motivations and the whole culture surrounding all these characters and all these different races in this story. So Bilbo takes Frodo as his own, and Bilbo has reached an unnatural age for a hobbit. Over 100 years. Mm-hmm. That's a long time. And on top of that, he's looking pretty good for his age. <laughs> Doesn't look a, a day past uh, 50. Yeah. So what is the reason that he has this unnatural youth and this unnatural lifespan, Carla? He's got this uh, little magic ring. Nobody knows that he has it. I don't think he really understands like the power that it wields, obviously. But he knows that there's something about it. He must know that there are these powers to it because when he's at the birthday and he's like talking to everybody and then he decides, you know, peace out, puts the ring on (laughs) and he disappears. He knows it's a magic ring, but he does not Mm -hmm. fully understand how big this thing is, you know, looking at the whole picture once, you know, once we find out what it is and who it belongs to. And so, yeah, so it kind of slows down your aging and but it also has you know side effects of uh changing your your moods your emotions your personality in certain ways so in the movie it shows like this expository prologue where it shows like how these magic rings were created who they were given to and then ultimately there's one ring to rule them all and that was created in the fiery depths of Mount Doom of Mordor (laughs) by Sauron, which is this dark lord. And he created the ring to have dominion over all the other magic rings. Mm -hmm. And that is the ring that Bilbo has. Mm -hmm. And what I love about the books is in The Hobbit, it's just a magic ring. It's just a magic ring that Bilbo wins off of Gollum by out tricking him with riddles and stuff like that. And then in the Fellowship of the Ring book, which is a continuation, you still don't have that expository context with the ring. Mm -hmm. So it's just a magic ring. It's not until after the party, after he does his little trick to disappear from it, that we learn why this ring is what it is and why it's so evil. So Gandalf tells that to Frodo. He's like, this is an evil ring. Don't tempt me with it. (laughs) Don't tempt me, Frodo. Yes. So the ring has this power to give you what you want, but there's a flip side to it. Kind of like with the dream stones and wonder woman. Mm -hmm. There's a negative side. There's a corrupting side to the ring of power. And what I love about the expository scene in the film is that it showed 
the king that had it before Bilbo. Isildur is his name. Um, so he's one of the race of men. So there's like mm -hmm. regular, regular dudes. And then there's this <laughs> other race of men that are called the Numenor. And they're basically like a diluted line lineage of men and elves. Um, oh, it's okay. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, that's part of like the Cimmerillion book, which I'm reading now, but essentially, <laughs> so they're not, they're not immortal like elves, but they possess long life and they live mm. longer than, you know, normal men do. Um, but anyway, so Isildur yeah. is, you know, he's the heir of, of Gondor, the realm of Gondor mm. in Middle Earth. So they set out with the elves and they're fighting and, you know, battling against Sauron and Isildur, you know, comes upon him and they're duking it out and Sauron is about to basically crush him and Isildur cuts off his hand and the ring, you know, flies off and he he grabs it and it brings him basically ultimate power as a king over Gondor. But again, with power comes greed and eventually, long story short, it betrays him because the, it's, and this is interesting too, how they kind of give the ring a mind of its own <laughs> because it's always looking to go back to Sauron because yeah. Sauron wasn't defeated in that battle. His physical form went away, but his like his life force and his soul, I guess, mm. if you want to call it that, was still preserved within the ring. And then, oh. you know, we see the eye of Sauron later on. Yeah, so the ring is always trying to return to Mordor to get back to him. So it will basically oh. do anything that it can to make its way back. So, and I think even in the dialogue of the film, um, it says, like, it betrayed Isildur. Mm -hmm. He ends up getting, I think, shot down by yeah. another army. Mm -hmm. The ring falls into this river. At that point, that's where we find out that Smeagol, Gollum, that's where he scoops it up. What I love about that battle in the beginning is so he defeats Sauron, Sauron's body, and he has a chance to destroy the ring. And Agent Smith is telling Isildur to throw it into the fire, destroy mm -hmm. it. And he says, no. Mm-hmm greed and corruption so if he just destroyed the ring he wouldn't have died especially like that yeah. yep the corruption of man is what set into motion this entire story mm -hmm. such an interesting plot device for this book so flash forward to Frodo so Frodo is given the ring after Bilbo relinquishes it after some great hesitation on his part. He didn't want to part with it because he's so attached to it, just like with Gollum. And that's why Gollum, you know, in pop culture, looks like this decrepit, broken man. It's because he was all consumed by the ring. It's like, it's like a drug addict, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The ring is giving him that fix, and you're constantly chasing the dragon, and... You, you just want that, and it's all-consuming. Yeah, it's a really good analogy. Bilbo relinquishes it to Gandalf. Gandalf tells Frodo to take it to the council. Mm -hmm. And 
it's up to him because no one would suspect a hobbit to hold this great thing. Frodo has to bear the weight of the entire world on his shoulders. At this part of the story, just like with Bilbo, Frodo doesn't really understand the weight of the situation Mm yet. I mean, all he knows is he's being a messenger at this point. Right. Take this ring over here. And then he probably thinks, well, I'm going to go home after that. Little does he know his world's going to change forever. And it's interesting because, you know, when he has it, right, he has it in the the envelope and he's like basically shoving it towards Gandalf. He's like, take it. Like, why do you want, why do you want me? You know, of all people, (laughs) but Gandalf, because Gandalf knows he understands the power that it wields that if he were to take it, if it were to corrupt him, you know, he could undo everything in Middle Earth if he really wanted to, because he's because Gandalf understands the power that he wields alone as a wizard by himself. And then Mm -hmm. to have this ring, you know, he could unleash chaos if it were to corrupt him in that way. So Frodo is like you said, yeah, I don't get it. Like, why? Why me? He even goes as far to say as I wish the ring had never come to me. Mm-hmm. I wish none of this had happened. And then Gandalf responds, so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. One of my favorite quotes. That quote is so poignant, especially now mm-hmm. with the pandemic going on. What's interesting is Tolkien started writing The Lord of the Rings and the whole story during the pandemic of 1920. Mm-hmm. And so I think that quote especially stands out because he went through what we're going through, if not even worse. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Because not only that, there was a, a great war happening. Which he served in, so he saw it all. Yeah, so him being in the trenches, him seeing the Spanish flu just decimate his culture, his people. Like, things are pretty grim. I mean, things are always grim, but him writing the story and him taking that pain and turning it into something beautiful as a story of that exemplifies hope and perseverance, I think is a very admirable thing to look up to Mm -hmm. and to hold on to. Like, things are pretty bad right now. 
but things will get better. Yeah. I think it's interesting how he took what was going on in the world around him and there were these bigger themes of the stories and then these much mm-hmm. smaller themes. Like, I don't know if you also, have you seen the movie Tolkien? Not yet. I, I watched it on like a plane coming home. I think it was from like Italy or something. But like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'll throw it on. And uh, it just, it's, you know, it's not like a spectacular film, but if you're a Tolkien fan, it kind of like hits home because it shows, you know, where the different inspiration came from, from the different aspects of his life. Mm. And I think one of the bigger themes out of all, and the movie touches upon this is, you know, in the darkest of times, you have friendships and you have the people around you that keep you going. And like you said, they, you know, they bring you that sense of hope. And I think that's very telling to what we're going through now is, you know, we need each other, you know, we need to, to keep those connections to the people that we love and care about. And that certainly comes through, you know, through his character, especially, you know, you look at uh, Sam and Frodo, that bond Mm -hmm. there, Pippin and Mary, that bond Mm -hmm. there, or even just looking to at the relationship between the dwarves and the elves, like, these two races of people who can't stand each other, but Gimli and Legolas managed to make it work, you know? So I think there's just so many different aspects of his life that, you know, bled into his writings and his characters. I could totally see that with like the camaraderie between his fellow soldiers in the trenches, Mm -hmm. because like they all, I'm sure his platoon came from different walks of life and different, you know, life experiences, but they all came together for one goal. And that goal was to survive Mm -hmm. and to have each other's back. And then outside of that, with the pandemic that he faced, that people also had to come together and to care for each other. Yeah. And then I'm glad that you mentioned Sam. Oh, Mr. Frodo. He's my all-time favorite. Like <laughs> any any time, like Frodo's being a jerk to him in the films, I'm like, don't you dare! <laughs> don't you be mean to my Samwise? <laughs> <laughs> that is such a great model of friendship, and I wonder who Tolkien's Samwise Ganji was in his life. So, because you were talking about how all these different elements impacted his life and then inspired characters in his story and like events in his story. I do want to take a second to talk about his relationship he had with C.S. Lewis. Are you familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia? I have not read them, but I'm somewhat familiar. Tolkien was friends with C.S. Lewis, which is crazy because there are these two great um, literary authors and C.S. Lewis was writing his Chronicles of Narnia at the same time Tolkien was writing his Lord of the Rings books. And there's this famous story where Tolkien got mad at C.S. Lewis for like his biblical allegories in the Narnia story with like Aslan and the White Witch and all that stuff. He got mad at him because he was like, look, dude. I want to imagine him like a bro. He's like, listen, dude, (laughs) 
I worked really hard burying these allegories in my stories to where you can't really tell that they're there. But once you notice, it's like, oh, well, of course. Mm -hmm. And then with C.S. Lewis, it's very, very surface level. Like Aslan is definitely Jesus or the Jesus Christ figure. And then with Lord of the Rings, you have the same imagery, but it's buried in like so many different layers and it's like these attributes are like divided into different characters Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like with the jesus character those attributes are in three different characters because you have frodo who is the the unsuspecting hero kind of like this person that has to take on the way of the world and you don't really suspect him to do so aragorn which is the returning king and then Gandalf, who is, you know, this miracle worker. Wise. Wise. Yep. And then also in the story, you know, the resurrection mm-hmm. happens with him. Yep. I think there's an element of that with Aragorn, too, because, I mean, not so much in Fellowship, but more so, like the return of the king. Um, oh, yeah. You know, he is, he starts off as this ranger, you know, you can compare that with Jesus as being, you know, the carpenter, no one, mm-hmm. you know knew who he was and then he comes into this situation and they're like yeah you gotta you gotta step up man you gotta be the savior you gotta you know mm. help help out mankind yeah and to uh i guess like a casual viewer all that like theology that's rooted in this story would just go over their head but it's still there mm-hmm. Um, it's only when you dive deeper that you you see these parallels and you see these connections. And with Samwise, I like him because like somebody told me this and I it just blew my mind. I was like, What's so special about Samwise? How is how is he related? He's like Well <laughs> he represents the Trinity. I was like, What are you talking about? They're like, Well, he is the Holy Spirit and I was like, How so? Because he's with Frodo every step of the way. And I was like, oh, my God. Ooh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's what a good book, a good story does. Because, like, every single time you look at it, you see something new. Mm -hmm. Or you learn something new about it. And with The Lord of the Rings, Tolkien took so much care with this story. And you could tell. And then Peter Jackson took so much care in bringing it to life on the screen. Mm -hmm. Just as far as, you know, film-wise goes, I, I don't know if you've seen, like, okay, have you seen the extended versions? Yes, okay. I own them all on Blu-ray. Okay. Because even with <laughs> them, like that, like there's just, so again, the theater release, like you have, you know, what was it? Two, almost three hours. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then you have even more material. And apparently there's even more material that he's never even put out. So... Again, like really, yeah, wow. Uh, like there are scenes with Aragorn and Arwen that supposedly we've never seen, and yeah. So it, it like you said, wow. he really, really took the time to make this. You know, this is his baby. Like you know, he's gonna really do what he can to do honor to towards you know to Tolkien and honor his legacy. And so, if there was a five-hour cut of each film well let's just say return of the king is a seven hour cut (laughs) 
Would you sit down and watch all of those? A thousand percent, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I think there's definitely a market. <laughs> Let's talk about the actual Fellowship of the Ring before we before we close the episode. So Frodo takes the ring to Rivendell and then a fellowship is created to send the ring to Mordor to destroy it. And we alluded to this earlier, but the fellowship is comprised of not only men, but dwarves, elves, even the hobbits. Mm -hmm. Gandalf is in it too. There's a sense of unlikely heroes or unlikely people coming together for one goal. And, you know, like you said earlier, probably stemmed from his life experiences, Mm -hmm. Tolkien. But there's one kink in the armor with with the fellowship. So the fellowship sets off, and what exactly happens, Carla? So they're going through the mountains, and Saruman, with, you know, his powers, throws them off the mountain, and they decide... We can't keep going this way. I think Gandalf even asks, let the ring bearer decide. Like, this is for him. And then Frodo decides we're going to go through the mines of Moria. Mm-hmm. So they go and they expect to be greeted by Gimli's people. And it's a tomb. Yes. All the dwarves have been, you know, killed off by the orcs and the goblins from the deep depths of the mines. And um, they're making their way through. And they come upon a very unlikely enemy, the Balrog. That scene scared me as a kid. Really? Yeah. I think that's one of my my favorite scenes of that film in particular. Yeah, the special effects really hold up in that scene they, because they do. you can't, I don't know how he did it. It's obviously with computers, but like the model of the Balrog looks so good mm-hmm. and looks so like slimy and it looks very tactile looks very real yeah and i'm not sure if it was like a combination of like like a model mixed in with cgi but it looks really good it's i want to say it's probably both weta is the name of the they're like i guess the equivalent of ilm with star wars but their work is like it's incredible yeah and i know even the technology was also changing like around that time more towards what we've got now. So I think they were, Mm -hmm. they had access to, you know, more at that point than like, say like the Star Wars films did with Mm -hmm. the effects. But yeah, I mean, the whole scene and just, I mean, and I could go into a whole other episode about this, but the score and the music thrown in, it's like, oh, yes, (laughs) perfect. But yeah, it's just such a powerful scene because you know, they're running and they're like, oh, we got to get away. And Gandalf's like, run, like, you know, go, go, go. They come to the bridge of Khazadum and Gandalf's basically like, I'm going to stop him. And everyone's kind of just watching and waiting. And you think Gandalf is this powerful wizard. He can basically fend off anything at this point. And we learn that that's not the case. We believe that the Balrog defeats him. You know, he gets knocked off the bridge and falls down into the dark cavern abyss below. Right. We have the death of our 
wise old sage mm-hmm. Gandalf. And before he dies, he says, fly, you fools. So this is when the journey gets real. So not only do Gimli, the dwarfs, people all get slaughtered, but we lose this wise old man that's been guiding our group this entire time. Mm-hmm. And what I love about that scene in particular, I mean, the whole, you know, fighting the Balrog, it's it's great. But it's the aftermath right afterwards when they're coming out on the other side of the mines. The way I thought about it was looking at different stages of grieving and mourning because you have, you know, Aragorn and Boromir, even Gimli too, I would say, who have seen probably death more often than any of the other members of the Fellowship have. You know, they've been through war and battle and all of that. So they're shocked, they're upset, they're sad, you know, but they're kind of like, okay, like we got to just, you know, we got to keep going. Everyone's like, get the hobbits, get them moving, you know. And Boromir says to him in return, give the hob- give them a moment for pity's sake because they all have not experienced this in any way, shape, or form. Going back to what we said earlier about the Shire being this safe haven and this paradise. Yeah, I'm sure there's death, but it's not in this very sudden and traumatizing way. There's also Legolas, who is immortal, who cannot comprehend death because he's, you know, he's been living for however many years, you know, and to him, it's, it's just this weird thing. Like, I can't grieve. I can't mourn because I don't understand what it will be like to die. So to me, it was interesting because you see so many different aspects of dying and death and grief right afterwards. Yeah, it's really interesting because I never thought of that scene like that, but like you're absolutely right. Like they're all grieving in their own way. And it's really interesting that you bring up Legolas because he is immortal. You know, they don't really have a concept of, of death because like an elf doesn't really naturally die. They go off into, I guess, the spirit realm. There's a scene near the beginning of the film where Frodo and Sam are going through the forest, you know, with Merry and Pippin too, and they see elves walking through the forest, going into this spirit realm, and they're like, they're shocked. They're like, not only have they not seen elves before, but they haven't seen this before, and apparently through the stories that were told to them, this has been happening more often, which means the world is changing. There's something happening. And that's kind of like the precursor to the great Lord Sauron coming back for his ring. So before we get into the last segments of the show, I want to take a minute and talk about Boromir. So the character of Boromir, he's in the Fellowship of the Ring before it got disbanded. And he is the brother of the ranger Aragorn. So... I find his character interesting because I think he's a good mirror to the character we meet in the beginning, Isildur. Mm -hmm. So would you like to unpack Boromir? Sure. So, well, we know that he is another man of Gondor, right? And he shows up to the Council of Elrond. You know, he's got his whole posse of other men with him. You know, they're all talking about the ring and 
everybody kind of says their piece and then it comes to Boromir and you just kind of get this feeling like something's a little off, you know, and like he looks at it and he's like, you know, he's glaring at it and he's like, no, it's a gift. Like we need to use this against, you know, the enemy. Why not use the power to fight against Sauron instead of trying to destroy it? And little do we know, you know, later on, and I believe it's Return of the King, we find out. His father, Denethor, who is the steward of Gondor, because there's no king right now on the throne, pretty much sent Boromir there knowing what it was and kind of used him as his pawn to be like, no, I want the ring. Like, that's that's mine. Like, I'm going to use it to become, you know, all ruling over Gondor. Wow. So, you know, Boromir is all he's being all sketchy Mm -hmm. and. Um, and Aragorn's just kind of like, yo, like settle down a little bit, man. <laughs> like you got to chill. Like we can't, you know, we can't wield this thing as our own because, mm-hmm. you know, as Elrond and Gandalf explain, like, it's just too powerful. It would corrupt everybody, you know, all along the journey as they're making their way, like through the mountain pass, you know, Frodo falls into the snow. He loses the ring around his, you know, the chain falls off. Mm-hmm. Boromir picks it up and like. You know, you see it, he's like staring at it. He's always, so there's always that temptation of the ring. It's always calling to him because it knows that he's weak and that he's vulnerable to its, its power. Yeah. It's kind of like a corruption of man situation. Like no matter what, and it seems like it's prevalence in this lineage of this family where they're always going to be tempted and fall into temptation Mm -hmm. by the ring. And yeah, I think that's very, very interesting because we just get a taste once again when he picks up the ring. He's like, ah, such a small thing. Uh, we suffer the fate over such such a small thing. Something like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But he's like, you know, he's saying like, it's it's just this ring and it's, you know, this is what everybody, this is what everybody wants. And it's right mm-hmm. here. And, you know, it's almost like he, it's right here in front of me. Later on, like after Moria and, you know, Gandalf Falls and all that, they come out, they go to Lothlorien with the High Elves and Galadriel's there. And we know that she's this kind of all being high, powerful elf. She has the ability kind of to see the future or what could come to be if certain motions are not made and put into place. So basically, you know, she's going, she's talking to everybody there in the fellowship and like she comes to Boromir and essentially she's like yeah you're gonna screw this up (laughs) so like (laughs) and she knows like she knows his weakness she knows why he's there she knows what his motives are she knows that he swore to protect Frodo but at the same time she knows that he is not strong enough like how Aragorn is yes he's a man but Aragorn has the ability to resist the temptation of the ring because he mm-hmm. knows he's the heir to Isildur and Gondor and yada, yada, yada. But right. she sees that weakness in Boromir and she's like, you're, you're going to mess this up for everybody. <laughs> like, <laughs> hate to tell you. And he ends up doing so mm-hmm. um, because after all those events, the orc army that was sent forth from Mordor to retrieve the ring, Boromir kind of separates the party if you will Mm -hmm. and he tries to convince frodo to give him the ring and they and they kind of get into a tussle at this setting before the orc army descends upon them and he kind of freaks out he freaks out on frodo and then he instantly regrets it i find that super interesting 
for his character, mm-hmm. given the the weaknesses he has towards the One Ring. It's kind of interesting because how we were talking about the parallels to Christianity and Catholicism mm-hmm. and how Frodo is almost like he's he's one of the parallels to Jesus Christ and the Savior and the one person yeah. that's going to, you know, save everybody. I was right. thinking about it some more and I'm like, now that I'm like really pondering this, Boromir is almost like a Judas character in a way. Like he right. betrays him. Oh my. Yeah, you're totally right. Wow, that's really that's super deep. <laughs> and and there's like you just said, there's that instant regret like, oh my gosh, like what did I just do? You know, oh and it's pretty much sends everybody into, you know, tailspin after that. Yeah, yeah, you're totally right. Because like the fellowship, and I'm just thinking about it now, the fellowship totally mirrors like Jesus's 12 disciples mm-hmm. and Boromir being that Judas character essentially betrays Frodo. And then that's what led to the downfall of the fellowship. Man, that's... Super interesting. And yeah, with the regrets, like Judas did regrets betraying Jesus too, to Mm -hmm. the Jewish high priests and the Romans, because like he was given money to sell out Jesus. Mm -hmm. And then after he did so, he like, you know, threw away the money, didn't want anything to do with it. And then he ended up killing himself. And Boromir, the fate of Boromir, unfortunately, when the orc army descended upon the broken fellowship what exactly happened so frodo's like i gotta get out of here i gotta set off everyone's kind of all over the place aragorn's fighting gimli legolas you know boromir he's struck down by this orc commander with a bow and arrow and aragorn comes upon him he finds him and you know boromir's like they took you know they took merry and pippin they took the little one they took the little ones and he confesses to Aragorn, like, this is my fault. Like, I try, I tried to take it from him. Right. I tried to, you know, I tried to take the ring and he fled. And for a while, too, like, there was kind of like this tension between Boromir and Aragorn because he knows that Ar- he knows who Aragorn is. But yeah. he also wants his family and his father to come into power on the throne mm-hmm. of Gondor. So it's kind of like this. Yeah, like, I know what you're I know who you are. I know what you're doing. I don't really want you to get to where you need to be. But finally, in those last moments that he's alive, he basically says to Aragorn, you know, my my captain, my king, basically is like, you know what? You're the man. You, you got to step up. You got to bring honor to Gondor and, you know, save us all. Right. So in, in those last moments, you know, Boromir is redeemed. Yeah. And his his dying wish, he sets off. He sets his brother off to find Frodo and to fulfill the quest that they originally were put on. Mm -hmm. And the ending of the movie is so poignant. So the fellowship's broken and it ends with Frodo and Sam. They can easily just stop where they are right now. Be like, you know what? We failed. Let's just go back to the Shire, go back to uh, the safety of our home, but they choose not to. Well, well, Frodo sets off. He's getting on the boat. (laughs) He's like running. You know, and Sam is chasing after him. Like, where are you going? He's like, I have to. Yeah. (laughs) He's like, I have to do this alone, Sam. Like, go, you know, basically like go home. Like your, your part is done. Like nobody else can help me. 
Right. But Samwise, being Samwise that he is, oh, love mm-hmm. him. He's like, nope. He's, you know, I'm, I'm coming with you. He tries to swim to the boat, even though he can't swim. He almost drowns. Frodo, mm-hmm. you know, lifts him out of the water into the boat, and he says to him, you know, I made a promise. Don't you leave him, Samwise Gamgee. Don't you leave him. Yes. And I don't mean to. You know, that's the promise <laughs> he made to Gandalf that mm-hmm. I will look after him no, no matter what. And, you know, we obviously we see that through to the very end of the whole story. It's such a strong ending. Like we were saying, it's part one of three. It's the lighter of the three films. But it's such a it's such a solid ending to to that part of the story. And then, you know, you have Aragorn, Legolas and Gimli. They're like, well, we can't we can't leave Merry and Pippin. Right. No, we can't let them go basically get kidnapped and marched off to their deaths we have to go Mm -hmm. find them and save them yeah it's a very strong ending of like yes we're we're broken apart but we got to try to piece this thing back together and we got to keep we got to persevere we got to keep moving we can't give up just now it's a testament to true friendship between frodo and sam and it's also a testament to holding on to a promise that was made and not breaking that promise Mm -hmm. seeing it through and with Whole bunch, with all these different characters, they all made separate promises and they keep them until the end. And that's a, a good display of character and integrity with all these different people and honor. People to look up to in our own lives, mm-hmm. for sure. We can all kind of see a little bit of ourselves in each of the characters in some way, shape or form because they're all so different. It speaks to you know what it means to be human and touching on all these different deeper elements aside from what the bigger picture of the story is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well put. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. So to end the show, we'd like to do one reason why. So Carla, I'm going to ask you today, what is the one reason you would give somebody to watch The Fellowship of the Ring? I guess I would say one reason would be just to, again, like, look at those deeper elements of the movie, like 
you have friendships, there's challenges, there's elements of the film that touch upon the psychology of what it means to be a human being and mm. how we interact with other people and the different, you know, experiences that we may be going through on a daily basis in our own lives or as a collective, as a whole, mm. it's a movie, but there's just so much more to it. It's just, right. it's so good. There's so many things that you can dig up from it. And I know it's, people always complain like, Oh, it's so long. I can't sit there for, <laughs> you know, almost four hours. But if you watch it for what it is, and then you kind of think a little bit more about what the message is that Tolkien mm -hmm. was trying to get across and how Peter Jackson, you know, adapted that into film. It's just such a good story with so many good characters. And I love it. Yeah. Even though it is a fictional story, like it taps into something deeper mm -hmm. at a human level. And it's so deep and meaningful that I don't think I can unpack it within, you know, one podcast. So yeah, very well put Carla. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's one of those things I could, like I said, I, I could sit here for hours and hours and hours and talk about it's, um, it's probably like next to Star Wars. It's like one of my favorite things like in the world. I just hold <laughs> it so near and dear to my heart in so many different ways. Yeah, absolutely. The Lord of the Rings is such a beloved story and the Fellowship of the Ring kind of exemplifies that by introducing you to these great characters and their great dynamics with each other, like Frodo and Sam, Frodo and Gandalf, and all these different characters. So there's a reason why so many people gravitate towards this story, gravitate towards this movie. And it's because it taps into something more. Like you said, it's not just a fantasy novel. It kind of taps into archetypes and characters that resonate so much with people because those things are rooted inside of us and they're stories that have been told you know, for generations and generations. Because if you scratch away the surface between like the Ring of Power and, you know, this band of unlikely individuals in times of great crisis, like I think every generation can see parallels within their own lives on the screen or in the pages of the book and it's good to have those heroic figures in your life. It's good to have things like this to look up to and to apply it to your own life. So that would be my one reason to watch this movie. But that's it for this time on Syndicate. We hope you enjoyed yourself. We've been talking about The Fellowship of the Ring. Please check it out where it is available. And now I would like to take a moment to thank my guest, Carla, for coming on to the show. Thanks so much for having me. This was great. You're welcome. And if you'd like to keep the conversation going, please add us on your favorite social media platform at Syndicate. That is C-I-N-E-D-I-C-A-T-E, Syndicate on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Letterboxd. 
And if you have any questions or film recommendations for us, please email at info at syndicate.com or visit the website syndicate.com. And until next time, stop that scroll and spend more time watching. Goodbye. <laughs>